I, um, I doubt that even if the newspapers mention me, that there's not gonna be any headlines that say something like, today the world grieves one of its greatest poets. I say that because um, I really haven't read a lot of poetry. Um, in fact, other than maybe writing a few ditties on bathroom walls in high school, I've never written a lot of poetry. Um, and I don't really like poetry. No offense to those of you who do. I wouldn't want to offend you. You obviously have your own problems. Um, I'm kidding. But there is one poem that I have embraced and one poem that, that just captivates my mind and my heart. In fact, it, uh, it's a poem I, I bumped into right after high school when I was working in a factory before college. And um, in fact, it's, it, it was um, so enthralling to me that I actually memorized this poem um, because it just, it spoke to me powerfully. Um, it was written back in 1895 by Rudyard Kipling, and maybe you have read some of his poems or some of his other writings. Um, he was, he was a, a great writer. I just want to share a piece of that with you. Um, and just the first uh, stanza and maybe the last verse. He writes this. The poem is called If. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubtings too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good, nor walk too wise. And the last stanza of the verse is this. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. That's a great piece of writing. If you can keep your head when everyone around you is, is losing theirs. I can't help but think that even though it was written in 1895, it, it is a reality that has been there throughout all of mankind. It's a reality that we've all struggled with living in the craziness of the world when everyone seems to be falling apart. I, I know it, it was a reality for the prophet Micah because Micah lived in a time where everything was falling apart, where everyone was losing their heads. 
where everyone was lying, where everyone doubted anyone who spoke what was true, and where everyone was only seeking the company of kings and those in power. This morning, as we continue our series called Majoring on the Minors, we're going to look at the minor prophet named Micah. Um, Micah brings insight into what it means to live in the craziness of the world. I don't know about you, but it's a reality that I'm aware of every single day. And I don't think it's a reality that anyone who calls himself a follower of Christ can't bump into every single day. That as you're seeking to walk in life and light and truth, you, you, you feel like a fish swinging up, swimming upstream. You feel like you are battling against a wind that just wants to push you backwards. It's always been that way. In Micah's day, it was, seemed to be crusting more than normal. We're gonna look at his life and we're gonna look at what he teaches us. I wanna have Andreas just put up the um, first section of scripture that we find. And this is chapter one. The word of the Lord that came to Micah. Now, Micah, his name is, who is like Jehovah? Uh, It's interesting that when you look at so many Bible characters, their names reflect back something of the power and the personality of God, which is pretty cool when you think about it. In fact, when you think about it, it seems like the right thing to do. And I'm not saying you had to go name your, your children these names. But to be so centered in Christ, to be so enthralled and called and compelled by God that even when your children come, even as you celebrate in their joy, you celebrate with thanksgiving to God. And, and that's obviously what happened with Micah's parents um, because they gave him the name, who is like Jehovah. Um, Micah prophesied at around the, about the end of 8 BC. Um, in fact, he lived about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem and Judea. And if you remember what we said before, the nation had been split apart. You had Israel in the north, and you had Judah in the south. Look what we read. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth during the reign of Jotham. And Jotham was a good king. In fact, when you study the Old Testament, especially if you study this period um, of all the kings, what you pretty much find is this. All the kings in the northern part called um, Israel, they were pretty evil. The kings in the southern part of the nation that was called Judah, most of their kings were good kings. Most of them were faithful to God. Not all of them. Jotham, um, 
excuse me, um, Jotham was. Ahaz wasn't. Ahaz was about as rotten as they came. And yet, his son Hezekiah was godly. Pretty interesting, isn't it? The craziness that can go on even in families where you have one father who is godly and he sets a great example and then the next generation comes and they're totally ungodly. And then the next generation comes and they're godly. Just the craziness that happens in life, that even happens in families. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom. Here you people, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple, read on. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning light they carry it out because it is within their power to do it. Now, what is he talking about? He's saying that in both the northern part of Israel and in both the southern part of Israel, he confronts them during that period of Ahaz for their corruption. And he not only confronts them, but what he, he confronts them with the words of God, which says, I'm now putting you on trial. I am now gonna hold you responsible. And I am now gonna pass sentence on you because I've had it. Because I didn't create this world in the order that I created it with for you to turn it in to chaos to turn it into craziness. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't help but when we're reading through the prophets, it just seems like our day, doesn't it? I mean, look where we are as a nation. We're, we're a nation that takes truth and dignity and civility and throws it out like the morning trash. We're a nation where it seems like every night when we turn on the TV we see powerful people in a vicious tug of war to just gain more powerful, like, like dogs scrapping for a piece of meat. We live in a nation where the line between right and wrong seems to have become so blurred we can't even make it out. We live at a, at a time where no one seems to really understand the differences between men and women and, and why there are differences. We live in a, in a time where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and sometimes it often happens by being taken advantage of. 
We live in a time just like Micah's time. I mean, think about the days that we live in. You turn on the TV and what do you see? Some kid who goes into a school and shoots it up because he was bullied and nobody seemed to be willing to ever stand up for him. We live in a time where we turn on the news every night and we see some child molested by some authority figure whose job it was to protect them. And all we have to do is is just look around our neighborhoods and see kids who have lost hope. And so they medicate themselves with the most potent of drugs. All you have to do is is talk to people who go to work every day. And they come home and they are stressed out by jobs that keep pushing and pushing for more and more. And so the only thing they can do is numb themselves by a couple of drinks at the end of the night to take off the edge. It's craziness. And it's getting worse. The way that we treat each other. We live in a time where we are so filled with fear that all we can do is become self-protective and self-absorbed to the point that we can't see anyone else in their problems and we don't care. Compassion and concern have gone right out the window. Those are the days that we live in. Those are the days that Micah lived in. And and you ask yourself, how do you keep your head while all of those around you are losing theirs? How do you walk and do life when life seems to become more and more insane every day? When we are on retreat, we are looking at this new form of church that's out there now in the virtual world. Um, it's the church, it's called the gaming church. And it's basically, I can't even describe it, it's so bizarre. It's, it's a church where people come and they play their games shooting each other up and then they get the gospel presented them somewhere along there and get saved, and they do this every week. Really? Even the church becomes crazy. And it wears us down. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can tell me it wears me down. You kind of wish that you could wake up and there could be one good day where everyone did the right moral thing where everyone just took one day to be kind and loving to each other. One day where everyone put down the bottles and the needles and just turned to God to heal them. One day where presidential candidates 
could stop throwing mud at each other and putting on a drama in front of us of the most disgusting forms. One day, (laughs) it would probably get us for the rest of our lives because we've never seen it. How do you live like that? How do you keep your head when everyone around you seems to be losing theirs? When you read through Micah, and and in fact, when you read through pretty much all the prophets, there's this one constant theme always pulsating in the background. And the theme is this. We can only keep our heads when we move close to the heart of God and move away from our own heads. That's the theme, that's the point, that's how we do it. Can you put that up? I want you to think about it. Is there any other way to live in a crazy world than that? That you live out of God's heart and not out of your head. What do I mean by that? I mean by just pressing into God's love for you and working out of that love. Because you know what? The more you get close to God's heart, the more you're gonna get closer to your own heart. Because most of us don't live close to our hearts. Most of us, most of the time, just we have to take our hearts out and put it somewhere safe and somewhere we won't forget where it is and then go to work and battle and then go home and battle and battle in between on the way back and forth and then every once in a while put our heart back in and feel something that's alive. But see, if we can every day live out of God's God's heart. If we can every day just press into his love and not worry about what our brain's telling us that's been filled with the lies of this world that says you gotta be self-protective. You gotta look out for number one. Gotta be careful when you go to the mall. There could be somebody with a gun. You gotta be suspicious of the people you're doing business with. You gotta worry and live in fear because of all the things. If you can just live out of God's heart and not out of your own mind, then you can keep your head when all the world around you is losing theirs. If you can do that, then you can live close to your own heart. You can keep it in there and know that your heart to God's heart 
There is no craziness. And when you live out of your heart, it'll straighten out your mind when you're pressing into God's love. Because love is the only thing that kills the craziness. How do we do that? How do we live out of God's heart? Micah tells us three things. That if we do these three things, we will be living out of God's heart. The first, can you put that up? And it might probably say Micah 5, 8. That's actually Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? Number one, act justly. If you want to live out of God's heart and not out of your head, then every day when you get up, you just say, I just want to do the right thing today. I don't care about the circumstances. I don't care about the cost. I don't care about the potential pain. I just want to do the right thing. Which means that I have got to be pressing into God. I have got to be relying on him. I have got to be living in his love because only love can make me do the right things. The right things for myself, the right things for God, the right things for the people around me, that I act justly, that I never cheat anyone, I never run around talking badly about someone, I never exclude people, I never hold back my compassion and concern, that no matter what someone has done, my, my mindset isn't to judge them, but to do what's right by them. I mean, think about it. We don't rush to do that, do we? To do what's right by someone, particularly if that someone is someone who hasn't done what's right by us. I mean, it's quid pro quo, right? It's fair. You take advantage of me. Well, I have no choice but to take advantage of you. You say bad things about me. Well, I, I got to straighten out the record. But that's not what it means to live justly. To live justly is to do what's right before God. To live what's right. Because it's only when I live in justice it's only when I care about people who are oppressed. It's only when I speak the truth and seek to live it that I live out of God's heart. Any other way of living, you will live in your own head, in your own fears, in your own lies, in your own doubts and suspicions, in your own selfishness, and you'll just move further and further away. How do you live out of God's heart? You do so by acting justly. Number two, by loving mercy. Loving mercy, what does that mean? That means 
that when you see someone who maybe has done bad things and they repent, you love it. When they come around and they want to be right and made right and be right with God, you love it. Mercy is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Where would we be without God's mercy? It would just be God's justice saying, well, look, you did wrong. Now you got to take what's coming to you. But it's God's mercy that meets with God's justice and produces something powerful in God's love, salvation. To love mercy. That means that you're going to have to be tender-hearted. It means that you are going to have to approach the world every day knowing that every single person around you is an object of God's love and therefore an object of your love. That every single person around you, God wants them to come into a relationship. God wants them to repent from their sins and get out of living lives of, lives of corruption and, and desperation. Can you do that? Can you actually put compassion first when you deal with people? Can you actually put concern for them first? We were looking at Philippians this week in that famous section of Corinthians where Paul says, consider others better than yourselves. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He came to this earth and he put us above himself even though we were sinners. As you grow older, will you grow more compassionate and more caring? Will you grow more bolder in risking being hurt to try to touch someone else's heart, to try to love them and lead them to Christ? Or will you just grow bitter by every year? Further from God's heart. Further from your own heart. Further from your heart touching the hearts of others. And living in the craziness of this world. Number three. To walk humbly with God. What does it mean to walk humbly with God? Very easy. Ready? Pay attention. It means you're not God. So write that down in your notes. I'm not God. Because we seem to struggle with that, don't we? We see somebody doing something. Oh, well, I, I, I gotta tell them. They're, they're wrong. They shouldn't do that. I once had a gal, and I'm not making fun of her. Just, just was part of her issue. And, 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 and she would find herself bumping heads with people, trying to correct them, tr- trying to help them by correct. And I said, look, you can't just walk up to people and say, you know, you shouldn't do it that way. Or it's really supposed to be, on the, or, or, you know, that's wrong. And she said, I don't believe that. 
I said, well, do you think maybe that's why you have such relational problems with people? She said, you're gonna tell me that if you're with somebody and they're doing something and they're doing it wrong, you're not gonna jump in and tell them, no, no, that's wrong, you shouldn't do it that way. And I said, yep, that's right. It's not my job to go around correcting everybody. Nobody wants me to correct them. Except my wife, she really enjoys it. Um, See how good she's being? (laughs) When I eat the glass of my food tonight. But nobody, nobody wants it. To walk humbly means I just am thankful that God has allowed me his grace and salvation because I am so not worth it. I am so sinful. And, and there are such better people out there than me. I mean, I'm sure you've noticed. There are people out there that want nothing to do with God or don't seem to care or they're ambivalent. And you look at them and say, they should be a Christian. They're much smarter than I am. They're more talented than I am. They're more popular than I am. They have more money. I mean, God, why did you pick me? Because that's what God does. God takes the weak things of this world and he pours his love and grace upon them to show the world just how much he can love. To walk humbly means to keep your mouth shut. It means to listen to other people's ideas. It means to believe what the scriptures say without you doubting them. That's what it means to walk humbly before God. It means whenever you meet someone, you consider them better than yourselves. And the midst of all the craziness of Micah's life, in the midst of the craziness of the people around him, he says this, what does God require of you? He requires that you act justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with him. Why? Because you'll become what in the Old Testament it's referred to as the holy remnant, the people who walked close to the heart of God. And who walked through above and beyond the craziness around them. You want to know how to deal with your week this week? You want to know how to deal with the craziness of the demands that are coming upon you? You just stop 
and you press into God's heart and you evaluate what really matters. You do the best you can because God would want you to do the best you can. But you never give away your heart. You never put it on the shelf so that you can live up to the craziness of this world. Because you'll become the craziness of this world. And that's the words of Micah. This minor prophet with this major message that still rings right to today. Please join me in prayer.